We don't do our work separately to stay that way, but we separate intentionally and temporarily so that ultimately when we come back together, we recognize the beauty and contrast and the importance of our diversity as human beings. Um, but yeah, whether it's masculine and feminine, whether it's uh, big or small, white or black, um, all of these polarities, you know, really live in us. You're listening to the Sovereign Society Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Riccio, and my greatest passion is to help you transform your doubt into the courage you crave to activate your thriving business from the inside out. As a Kundalini business mentor, speaker, and modern medicine priestess, I believe the world's ready for your medicine more than ever. By embracing all facets of our human experience, we have the power to cultivate a conscious tomorrow today. Every Wednesday, I gather some of the greatest leaders, teachers, and revolutionists of our time to talk about all things social justice, personal empowerment, and what it takes for you to uplevel your business and life. It's time for more good people making good money, doing great things in the world. Best believe this is the place that's going to take you there. If you're ready to unleash your medicine and revolutionize the world as we know it, I invite you to dive in and join us on this wild ride. Hello, 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 and welcome to uh, oh, the, <laughs> one of the most enriching episodes of the Sovereign Society podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Riccio, and I can't even begin to tell you how meaningful this episode is to me, to my heart, and to my soul. And we're coming close to the 100th episode of this podcast. And for those of you who have been on this journey with me from the beginning, thank you, thank you, thank you. My guest today has been on the journey with me since I was at my rock bottom. Today, I have the executive director of this incredible nonprofit organization called Journeymen, whose mission is to help really regenerate modern society through the inspiration of young men. And Nikki and his childhood best friend, Alex Craighead, who I love and adore, I love them so much. And I appreciate so deeply the work that these men are doing to answer the call to help revolutionize what modern Western culture has really created or to the foundation that's been set and the conditioning as to the transition for young boys to embark on the journey of becoming healthy young men. And so they're here to really help build compassionate, inspired, and resilient young men through these nature-based rites of passages and ongoing mentorship and community engagement, things that as a millennial was needed. And these two men have answered the call. And I've known Nikki since we were both students at Chapman University in Orange County. And you're going to hear, you know, one of the earliest memories I have with of Nikki when you hear the conversation, but essentially we both embarked on the spiritual journey together and to witness 
his evolution and his commitment and devotion to becoming embodied and to answer the call and to walk the walk and to walk the talk. I just, I'm so proud of this, this, this man and to see how he's raising his family with his partner, Caitlin. It's just been such an incredible, inspiring experience for me. And it's, it's a relationship I value and I treasure so deeply because we see each other where we're at. We both have a very uh, strong mission. And, you know, when you are, when you see and look back at someone who, you went to college with and you went to school with and you see what they've done with their lives. It's just been so inspiring. And this this episode in particular just means the world to me. I can't even, uh, I'm almost at a loss for words for it, but I'll do my best to share in this introduction right now. So Nikki, he's been, he's done so much work with as a youth mentor and as this facilitator with Journeyman, he's really infused his years of experience of coaching youth sports and being college in, and being a college admiss- admissions counselor and his devotion to helping people heal and to advance as a human being and to just really develop into this person of authenticity and realness and integrity it means so much to me to witness this this man to do the work. And again, I just have so much faith in the future because we've got people like Nikki answering the call. And he's so devoted and committed to cultivating this transformation and to cultivate and create containers for these people to experience these opportunities of growth with con- in a conscious way. It's so... And it's so admirable. And, you know, he's dedicated so much and devoted so much of his time to really revolutionize the way that we are experiencing a world of toxic masculinity and unconscious awareness. And to see how he's really showing up and answering the call, it blows my mind. So we talked a lot about eliminating oppression and really embracing polarity in all its forms and, you know, what it means to really answer the call to activate his nonprofit journeymen and these nature-based rites of passages beyond working in ceremony with plant medicines, which, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a huge advocate for plant medicines and, there's also a time of sobering experiences that I feel are so powerful of just presence and the importance of integration, which we talked about a lot, as well as how we can really start to transcend toxic masculinity, which is so such a hot topic right now. And I feel like we need to be talking about it more, especially if we are people of white privilege who have platforms and opportunities. And if you're someone who calls yourself a uh, conscious leader or a spiritual leader, and you're not using your platform and informing your audience about how we can do better, then you're not answering the call in a way that can really transform. And so this was a really important thing that I really wanted to connect with and share with him, um, share with you all in this conversation. 
conversation. And we really go there as well as, you know, what it means to really embark on the journey into conscious fatherhood and to just really set precedent for that space. And Nikki and his family years ago went to Standing Rock and to hear his experience and the medicine he learned from the elders is so powerful. This conversation is so real, so vulnerable, so raw. I'm beyond thrilled to be sharing it with you because these are the type of conversations I'm devoted to continue to share with you in 2020 and beyond. Conversations with meaning, conversations with purpose, conversations with integrity, conversations with truth. And please inform your friends, subscribe, leave a rating and review. We're coming up to the 100th episode and anyone who leaves a comment and review on iTunes, or if you've left a comment and review on iTunes in the past, take a screenshot and email me at hello at sabrinariccio.com, or you can click the little email button on my Instagram at Sabrina Riccio with your screenshot. But I'm going to randomly pick someone who sends, submits their screenshot of their review of the Sovereign Society podcast for a free 45-minute one-on-one coaching program with me. And you've heard lately that I'm Trans, I'm I'm transforming my coaching business and I'm taking answering the call to the next level by bringing in more awareness about social justice and the issues that really matter more so than just the materialism and whatever. I'm here to implement great change and your support of sharing your reviews and your ratings helps bring this medicine out there because I'm so devoted to sharing conversations like the one you're about to hear right now. So to those of you who have already left a review, thank you so much. We are coming so close. These are like the last episodes before we reach a hundred episodes. And I'm so excited that I get to go into 2020 with you all having a hundred episodes like under our belt here with the Sovereign Society podcast. So again, Leave your rating and review when you listen on when you listen on iTunes. Take a screenshot, email it to me by clicking the link of the email button on um, my profile on Instagram at Sabrina Riccio, and I'm randomly going to choose during the hundredth episode um, who will win a free forty uh, five minute one on one call with me. And this is this is a huge offer and opportunity for you all. But in the meantime. Really prepare yourself for this conversation because it's the real deal. And I'm really excited to be sharing with you this medicine with my dear brother, someone who's going to be in my life forever because I just see him and we've grown together and uh, this means so much to me. So without further ado, I'm really excited for you to learn more about transcending the unconscious culture toxic masculinity and what it takes for us to really go forth and activate this rite of passage as a collective. Enjoy. Hello, 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 and welcome to, oh my God, I can't even tell you how excited I am for this episode of the podcast because I have Someone, uh, it makes me want to cry. I have a dear brother of mine, Nikki Wilkes, with me. We went to college together. And if there's anyone from my past, from my collegiate years, that I've witnessed 
truly evolve into something so beautiful, so conscious and pure. It is this being this man right here and the work that he's doing. It makes me want to fucking cry every time I think about it. And I just really want to dive in real fast and share something that's really amazing about when, when Nikki comes into onto my path and when he's here in my experience. So I remember there was one time it was right before I got struck by lightning and we were at this like random party. And I remember I was seeing him across the dance floor and we both looked at each other. Like, this is not where we're supposed to be. There's a bigger calling for us that we are activating. I remember that so clearly. I just, I remember I like locked eyes with you and I was like, this is not where we're supposed to be. And then the last time I hung out with you, you didn't even have your twins yet. It was just you, Maverick and Caitlin. And we were at LIB and my grandmother was in, she was transitioning. She was like in her last months of being alive. And I just remember like, that was such a challenging time for me. And just to be there with your family was like such medicine for me. So like I, like I share the fact that you're here on this conversation with me, it just moves me so much because I've seen our evolution, you know, and I'm just so beyond grateful to have you here, brother, to share your medicine and your light and Mm. your wisdom. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, sister. And know that as we've dipped in and out of each other's stories over these years, uh, it's just been such a blessing to see you step into your gift and shine your light. And um, both of those moments you described to me were so mutually uh, just uh, beacons for me, like like highlights. And, and to be able to uh, just be acknowledged and seen and to share a knowing from someone like at a party of such unconsciousness that I actually remember quite, uh, consistently is, uh, just this remembrance of like, yes, these, these beings, these relationships pop in when we most need them. And I can say that though it's been few and far between since that moment, um, being able to watch and feel and trust from afar of what you've been investing yourself into and the gifts you're sharing, uh, are magnificent. And it's an honor and a blessing to be in this space with you. So thank you. You're making me so emotional. (laughs) It just makes me really emotional because I've been, as of three days ago, I've been diving into writing my book. And so much of that is about my story and overcoming and, you know, awakening. It's been so much of my awakening process of depression and trauma and pain. And, you know, just to see like, we have the power to really shift our reality. We have to do the deep internal work and we have to want it. (laughs) There has to be that desire to want it and to want something better for ourselves. And, you know, what I love about what you're doing right now is you are truly answering the call. Like not only are you raising a beautiful conscious family, but you are helping young boys and young men through this journey with journeymen to show up and step up. And these men are the leaders of tomorrow. And in a society that, you know, I studied sociology and business at Chapman. I know you got your MBA too at Chapman and Um, You know, so studying people and seeing what's happening in business and just like culture as a whole of like 
the future is female and how unsupportive that is for a young boy or a young man to say, well, where's my part? So I would love to talk about the inclusivity of bringing in balance of both masculine and feminine, regardless of the gender you identify with, but just as the energy of how the importance of bringing in both pieces, if we really want to evolve as a society. Mm. Yeah. Lovely prompt. I, uh, Oh, I suppose I'm, I'm taken back to like some of my, um, early forays into this work and, and unpacking my conditioning as a male and, being surrounded by like really strong women at different parts of my journey. Um, and just feeling like the, the intense like rage and, and, and of things and feeling really scared, like really not knowing, uh, what that meant for me and, and essentially, uh, how I was supposed to respond and, and integrate that into my life and my work. Um, and I've become to recognize like, like my own liberation as a, as a human being is directly related to uh, just eliminating oppression in all forms. And so like if my brother or my sister or my sibling or anyone in my community, anyone on this planet, any being is uh, not able to express themselves fully and, and, and follow their divine wants and, and their longings, uh, I am also oppressed. And that is also a direct reflection of my inability to express myself fully. Um, and that's not to bring it to a selfish light, but it's incredibly motivating, I think, for me and for a lot of the folks who are engaged in our work uh, to recognize that, you know, to empower folks on the other side, whoever that may be, and to recognize that, you know, a lot of that anger, a lot of that hatred and fear that can get between folks of different genders or different political be beliefs or whatever it is, um, often stem from the same wounds. Like they often stem from these same traumas, these same core wounds from childhood or, or ancestral wounds and getting to unpack that together, um, is beautiful. And as I've come to learn, getting to unpack that in a group that has, you know, uh, a shared sense of identity, um, is also really important, especially for folks who are just starting. Uh, and so, you know, I always like to say, we don't do our work separately to stay that way but we separate intentionally and temporarily so that ultimately when we come back together, we recognize the beauty and contrast and the importance of our diversity as human beings. Um, but yeah, whether it's masculine and feminine, whether it's uh, big or small, white or black, um, all of these polarities, you know, really live in us. And I'm so, so passionate about um, helping us recognize that our wholeness as humans are our ultimate expression as, as uh, people on this planet is so much more complex than what could be driven down to a gender or a sex or a sexual orientation. Um, and those are also important pieces for us as we walk this planet. And there's so much conditioning and so much different social experience based on how we look, uh, based on how people think we look uh, and all of these different pieces. But yeah. The culture of the, the evolution of culture right now is pretty phenomenal to witness. And what I like to remind people about millennials in particular is that we are the last generation of an old and a new paradigm and we are the bridge keepers. They, so they call us 
the dark night of the soul generations because we are the ones that are choosing to uh, end the cycles of our lineage, of uh, culture, of society. And of course, it's deep work, but I think that's why so many of us have... Um, are very many of us are old souls. You know, a lot of the old souls are the ones that are leading the way because we've done this before. Um, this is our divine mission and our purpose as to why we incarnated during this wild time of 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 history, and we're watching Fucking it. Wild time, <laughs> such a wild time. It's holy shit. It's holy shit with a holy shift, right? Like. Yeah. This is, I know for me, like, you know, as I'm, as I'm writing this book too, and just seeing like how far I've come and, and, and seeing like the, the breadcrumbs of my past and how it's, it's leading to the bigger picture of why I'm here doing what I'm doing. And I would just love to hear about what was the call for you to start Journeyman? I want you to talk about Journeyman and what was it like for you and Alex Craighead? Oh, I love Alex so much. You two are just such gems. Uh, I just remember like us at that last LIB. That was the last LIB you went to as well. And it was just like, we just had such an incredible time together. And I want to hear the story about like, now is the time for us to create this nonprofit and to help really set foot for the generations to come for these men. Yeah. I love it. You said those words. Now is the time. And that was the resonant tone that we actually tuned into at some point because uh, journeyman was born out of a dream that many people contributed to, but ultimately that dream was just getting woven very loosely into this fabric. And um, we had both come back to Vashon our, our hometown and we uh, had heard about this string of suicides and attempted suicides in our community of really young people. And, and this was actually Alex's idea, but he's like, you know what, let's just like make a bunch of cocoa and go up to town at the four way intersection and just have a big sign that says like hugs and hot cocoa and just try to spread some love. And so we did. And, you know, in the Northwest, it's different than LA, you know, people are kind of reserved, especially in winter months, like giving out free hugs, uh, it's not as I would say, uh, common as you might see on Venice beach or something. And so there we were just like, boom, like meeting people where they were in the middle of their day. Like, Hey, do you want a hug? No, you want some cocoa? Sure. And just giving this love and trying to shine this light. And it was in the conversation of prepping for that. We were, I remember we were standing next to each other and we kind of just looked at them. We're like, is now the time? I think it's the time, you know, like our, the kids and the youth in our community are literally ending their lives right now because it's so hard because they don't have people who see them because they don't have a vision for their future. Um, because the culture that they're being initiated into isn't theirs. It doesn't feel like home. They don't belong and they won't. And so what are they supposed to do? And, you know, some of those initial conversations and visions were really all about listening to what is still intact in current, like, land-based, place-based indigenous cultures around the world. And how have these people, you know, been so resilient? How have, you know, generations and generations of people managed to keep their culture and their identity and their sense of aliveness and vitality and connection to the planet alive through famine, through disease, through all of these different changes? And as I looked at that, I began to recognize that you know, pretty much every single culture that I studied or that I got to experience directly through teachings and stories and some of my mentors 
they had these rites of passage that were integrated into their culture. Essentially, they had these intentional markers and ceremonies and processes by which they recognize as the stage of human development. And when I look back at my own culture of being raised in the United States, um, I couldn't find that. I was like, we didn't have anything like that. We just had these kind of faux markers of like, hey, you get your driver's license, you have sex for the first time, you you know, do the things like graduate and you're supposed to feel different. And we wear the silly hat, you know, the square with the tassel. And every time I ask people, I'm like, what does that mean? They're like, I don't know, but I did it. And I'm like, that's the best example to me because we have these rituals and these markers, but they're meaningless. Like we don't even know where they came from. And yet we do them all the time. And, you know, for me, it felt like this huge opportunity to be like, what would a culturally relevant rite of passage look like for youth in our, in our communities? And for us in particular, you know, we were recognizing the integration or the intersection between social issues that were mostly being perpetuated by males and other uh, risk factors that we felt like were affecting males and, you know, potentially causing them to lash out and have these behaviors that are really toxic. Um, And rather than point fingers and kind of say, you know, fuck men, you know, you are all that is wrong in the world, uh, we wanted to take a step back and look at essentially intercepting that pattern before it had set in. Uh, I've done a lot of men's work and I've, you know, uh, done work with MKP and Illumin and many other groups that work with adult men. And um, I love it. And it, I think it's so important. And it's also very evident to me how much harder it is to peel back layers from, from conditioning when someone's 30, 40, 50 years old. And they have so much of that just pasted on over time. And to be starting our work, really with like preteen and teen boys and begin to have some of these conversations, we find that they're pretty much ready to rock. I mean, mm. they, they have that youthful rebellion already present. They, they are already challenging the status quo. They're already rejecting the society more generally. And so thus are more willing to entertain their own authentic view of their own identity and who they want to be in the world. Um, when I was in Costa Rica, I was uh, supporting an organization that was essentially- uh, You just essentially... read my mind because I wanted you to talk about that. Yeah, 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 I felt it. <laughs> um, so we were, we, were, we were supporting plant medicine, uh, you know, plant medicine journeys. And, you know, in, in, this, particular, in this particular tradition uh, from Gabon, West Africa, it uses a medicine that is extremely powerful, produces really deep, long-standing um, visualizations and what you might call hallucinations. But what I would say is access to a spiritual realm. And in Gabon, in the Bwiti tradition, you know, this medicine called Iboga is essentially uh, the rite of passage. It is part of their cultural tradition to welcome youth into adulthood. It's not the only thing, but it's a really key part of that. And so when I was down there, when I was kind of witnessing how these traditions and how these, uh, how these same tools were supporting folks, you know, at different stages of life, I was like, yeah, this medicine is not mine to carry forward. That's not, you know, that's not my lineage. That's not my thing, but what are these elements that are universal and what can we do back home that is culturally relevant, that is, you know, safe, that does address the same things that these tools and technologies have done for decades and millennia really. Um, and so it was actually, in my own experience and my eyes closed, I saw the name journeyman with my mind's eye. It just boom appeared. And I was like, Whoa, I have no idea what that is, but it's there. (laughs) I just don't know what it means yet. And I very excitedly connected with Alex, like probably two weeks later, who was in Germany at the time. 
he was teaching um, at an international school. And we just kind of began to weave this vision. We both had experiences uh, that were complementary but different and started generating this this greater dream, this greater vision for what would become Journeyman. You know, it's really uh, amazing. There's one which just came through as you said that. I remember when we were at Lightning in a Bottle and we were also with Chelsea Spicer, yes. another Chapman alumni, dear sister. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she was doing like her uh, teaching credential stuff. And Alex was, and I could tell right there, there was something that triggered with Alex that like, I have a bigger call that I need to answer. I remember it so vividly, like it's insane. So it's been so cool and so incredible to see from like those first seeds and to see what you two men have created. It just, it, I'm just so proud of you guys. It's been so beautiful to see you taking action. Answering mm-hmm. the call and showing up. Yeah. Yeah, it's the biggest piece, integration, right? Yes. And I want to talk more about that because, you know, regardless if you're working with plant medicines or if you're work- whatever big experience you're working through, even if it's going to a festival or like being in a gathering, we don't talk enough about integration and the importance of integration. And I know that's something, a huge component of what you teach these men in journeymen and a huge part of the process that you embark with them on this journey. I would love to hear and just chat more about this. Yeah. Uh, as I said, it's, I, I think it's the most important uh, component because it's the most neglected component. And so a uh, long time ago, um, an anthropologist traveled around the world and started looking at you know, indigenous cultures and trying to study rites of passage. His name was Arnold Van Gennep. Um, and he identified these three stages. And the first was separation or severance. The second stage is threshold or liminal space. Uh, it's kind of the time in the other world, so to speak. And the third stage was integration. And as I looked at some of my like peak experiences through young adulthood that I considered initiatory in some way, I recognized that there was no integration. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these were like going to epic festivals, like Burning Man is a great example, um, and other experiences that are liminal in nature. And by liminal, I mean they are uh, experiences in which your psyche is fundamentally open to change, mm-hmm. meaning we are questioning uh, fundamental identities and beliefs and structures that we've always held as constant. And in this liminal space, we can assume new identities, beliefs, values. We can also let things go. And when we step back into the world, right, into the known world, into the culture, into our regular life, um, we're going to be tested, right? We're going to be tested to stay small. We're going to be challenged by our peers and our parents and the world at large to go back to the way we were because that's comfortable, right? The world wants us to stay the way we were. And so in this integration phase, there's this uh, intense challenge and, and tension in holding the truth and the, vil- the vision that was present in that liminal space. And what I recognized, I was like, man, there is no shortage of peak experiences in modern life for folks who are living in Western culture. And I speak that from a place of privilege in the sense that um, in my experience and most of my social spheres, like they can go and, and go on, they can travel, they can go and have a peak experience, they can go to a festival, they can take drugs or a plant medicine, you name it, and have a liminal experience. And since we really don't have a uh, 
a village anymore since we don't have intact elders and help us vision that happens on the liminal space, the integration tends to fall short. And so this is why I see, you know, uh, folks who, you know, routine, routinely go to festivals like every other week because they are just thirsting for that peak experience. And this isn't judging it because I've been in that space myself. I, I, I <laughs> totally get it. But at the same time, I can look back and recognize that I was seeking something. Uh, I was seeking something that ultimately I could only do. I could only do by showing up consistently and integrating the experience that I had the first time. Um, and ultimately I would just be staying on the treadmill. So in our work, we, you know, we create these liminal experiences by going out into nature and fasting and challenging the cultural structures that we become used to, including masculinity, including these things that we've come to believe are normal or, uh, acceptable or, or, you know, the best way to be. And we question all of those. Um, but we follow up these experiences with very intentional sequence of events that allow us to recognize that the work happens every day. The real work happens every day when we walk in our shoes and we're, you know, we're faced with the challenges of everyday life. Um, but, you know, by offering this like ongoing mentorship and holding the container present for uh, upwards of a year or more after some of our experiences, uh, we just feel like... <laughs> we feel like we're providing that necessary structure so that the change that is glimpsed in these experiences can actually stick. And that these mm -hmm. young folks and us too recognize that we have a place to go for support. Um, you know, I know this is present for everyone, or I believe it is regardless of gender and such, but in particular with men, you know, we're conditioned not really to ask for help mm -hmm. really from a young age conditioned to be like, nah, you got to suck it up. Don't be a bitch. You know, don't ask for help. You got to be self-reliant. Big and boys tough and don't cry. Yeah, all that, right? Mm -hmm. So how that plays out in these experiences is like, you know, sometimes we we go ultra vulnerable and we're crying and pouring our tears out. And, and what I witness in youth and even in men is like, there's this immediate tendency to just flip it after that happens and put on the shell and put on the mask and try to walk as if nothing happened. And I just feel like it's, it's our work and it's our, uh, it's our duty to continually provide a space where being vulnerable, being sensitive as a man and recognizing the importance of having a village, having a community of people who could see you and who are willing to call you in mm -hmm. as opposed to call you out, uh, is really the only way we can expect this work to be transformational over the long term and affect the cultural change that I imagine we agree just fundamentally needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Because this Aquarian age post 2012 is more about uh, community ver and, and cooperation versus and no longer competition with the competition mindset and the lone wolf days they're over, like they're not sustainable. And so something I think about is like, if we're, if we're targeting these young men at a young age, because I know for me, like if you're, you're helping groups, like from a yogic perspective, you're helping groups between the last ages of the development of their sacral chakra and into the development of their solar plexus, which is where their willpower and their confidence and all that comes in. If you are able to trigger it or to, to attack, like whatever can be infiltrated through uh, the negativity, through the trauma, through the pain at that age, there's less work to be done at an older age. And you're able to 
cultivate this clear energetic channel to allow them to live with a more open heart because we cannot live open-heartedly if we still have blocks in what we call in Kundalini Yoga, the lower triangle, the lower three chakras. And I know through my experience and my journey, boom, that lower triangle is like my trauma <laughs> that I've had to endure and so much, so many years of like clearing. And even as I'm in the process of writing this book, like recognizing like things and behaviors of my past during those developmental years and like, holy shit, like the, the, the core wounds of the, the uh, need of approval and the desire to be accepted and to be seen and all those things. And I didn't have the support. We didn't, we didn't have that support during those years. And it's, and there's no one to blame is because there wasn't that awareness in our culture in that space too. And so I wonder if, you know, like as, we continue to evolve and much of the older generations, like they transition to out of the earth realm. And, uh, you know, do we, can there be, will there be an opportunity where toxic masculinity isn't ruling this planet anymore? Yeah. That's the vision I hold. I mean, oh, I, this is, this is a very consistent, uh, vision that I, that I feel it, it comes to me often in this work, but it's just glimpsing a future in which, um, I guess the word would be irrelevant in itself because masculinity itself would just be an expression, an expression in a way of a way of being that any, any one person or any group might embody from time to time for a specific reason. Um, but I do really feel like in this evolution that we're witnessing and we're really participating in and, and I believe supporting with conversations like this and, and the work that we're doing is such that, uh, not that we're, I wouldn't say that we're transitioning uh, away from gender in itself. We're more or less holding the vision for a future in which all expressions are equally valued and the beautiful polarity that exists right across the human spectrum are all going to have a place in the, in the great dance. Um, so yeah, you know, to, to, to be glimpsing a future in which toxic masculinity isn't, isn't a conversation anymore. Uh, it gives me a lot of hope because, you know, at the same time, uh, I'm very present and aware with how much non-male people are suffering at the hands of mostly males. Um, I also witnessed how, you know, people in non-male bodies are pressured to embody those same traits of toxic masculinity for power or for, I would say, force in those situations. Um, and I also get to sit with a lot of men and boys who, you know, ultimately are following some set of behavior patterns because they think they're supposed to. And ultimately just hurting so bad inside, mm -hmm. hurting and hurting and hurting and have no support and no tools to address that pain. Um, and their behaviors resulting from that are perpetuating that same piece, you know, hurt people, hurt people. Mm -hmm. So yeah. It's hard with doing the deep internal work too. I think so much like, I know for me as a spiritual teacher, it's been really challenging for me to see like these quote unquote conscious leaders love and lighting their way through, but refusing to talk about the deep work that is necessary 
if we because the love and light is just a band-aid to the deeper salute the deeper problem like we need to come up with a solution and that solution is not going to be experienced unless we get radically honest with the patterns the behaviors the traumas the pains and to to go back to that ancient um practice of storytelling to c- cultivate connection to understand like hey I see you because I've been where you're at and I can like I can reassure you you are you will not be stuck in this space if you allow yourself to do the work that's literally the antithesis behind why I'm writing this book right now is because thanks <laughs> it's been crazy but it's just like I've been really I, I've, I woke up to what's happening, you know, and I think living in Joshua Tree, I'm away from the LA noise and, and congestion and all of that, that I can have that hawk perspective of being an observer and to see like what's happening and be like, hey, no one over there is doing it. So I'm going to answer the call here and step up and speak up and I don't care if it's going to like taint my brand or whatever. Like this is about integrity. So how are you helping pave the path for these young men about the importance of integrity in this process of expressing and being and embodying? Yeah. Wow. That's a really deep question for me. Um, Integrity is not always pretty. (laughs) Mm -mm. Uh, And I, I think what's coming up for me is, is, you know, to, to embody an appropriate level of transparency in my work such that I'm walking the walk when we're in circle together. You know, a good example is a year ago um, in my own unconsciousness and touching shadow is uh, attempting to do some of my cleanup work from harm that I've caused as a man in a very public way. And recognizing my error in that, and you know, causing more harm with my actions, uh, despite having good intentions, but it was ugly. And some of the feedback I got, you know, really touched upon uh, just a really, uh, I would say, obvious need for me to just stay engaged in my own work. Um, but rather than like compartmentalize that, like I brought that to circle in a way that was appropriate, not every single detail, but bringing that for me, bringing that to circle and encouraging our mentors and the adults who are involved, um, to not paint this picture, like we're perfect and we're done. And that's why we're the gurus and teaching them how they need to be a man, but we're sitting there in front of them and showing them what it's like to be in the work, showing them what it's like to be a fucking mess sometimes and to crumble and to cry and to not know. And then ultimately you know, finding some sense of wholeness through that group dynamic such that we can, you know, check out of our circle and go and walk through our lives together. Um, for me, integrity is about uh, recognizing a set of values that guide us and continually making choices in alignment with those values. And in a group setting, especially with boys and men, uh, there's this radical process of accountability that we engage in, which is uncommon among youth, uh, in a call out culture where social media is all about waiting for someone to fuck up and then just embarrassing them or, you know, essentially never letting it die because it's in the digital space. 
Um, but for us, this process of being in integrity and, and creating accountability through our group um, is really about establishing a set of authentic personal values that guide us and leaning on our group to keep us in check. Being like, hey, what's it like when you fuck up and your friend is actually calling you in to support you uh, instead of trying to make you look like an idiot so he looks a little bit better? And mm. I see it. It's it's pretty fucking amazing. That when makes you see me emotional. It. That's so beautiful. When, like when you see a 15-year-old boy who checks his friend because he made a derogatory comment to a young woman in front of him and he doesn't do it to make him feel bad, but he's just like, hey, like that's not who you are or that's not the agreement you made in group. Right. And then they come back and they get to process the conflict with us in circle. And I'm like, holy shit. Like <laughs> it blows my mind because in my life it was the total opposite. Totally. Like, like, like people in my circle and myself included were getting celebrated for being assholes and uh, <laughs> you know, for perpetuating these same things that we're trying to undo now. And just even one example of that, I'm like, oh my God, that is such powerful ripple effects down the line that they're already starting to interrupt these patterns in themselves, but also in their peer groups. And doing it from a place of like love, like I'm doing this, bro, because I love you, not because I want you to look like an idiot, but because, you know, ultimately we're in this together and because you made this promise in front of me. And that's important to me because we're like family. So powerful. And that also shows yourself, Nikki, like the inner is creating the outer. The fact that you've Mm. been able to really transcend that within your own life and you're seeing that as your reality now, too. Yeah. Yes. And then you can go back to that, that, that younger 15 year old, whatever, Nikki, who did that and just love the shit out of him because there is such a level of unawareness or like we being on those behaviors to fit in or to be accepted or whatever, because this is what culture and society has told us is what is appropriate, but from a soul level, is it? Yes. Uh, I mean, my answer to that is. complex, but God, I'm, I'm just very present with, with, as you name that, just my own need for love, like in the, in those years and to be seen and to be accepted for who I was. Um, oh. Way to go, brother. I'm proud of you. Thank so you. with that, you know, and I think, I know for me, a huge part of what catapulted my spiritual awakening in my journey before I got struck by lightning. But like I, like I mentioned, I was at that party and I looked at you and I was like, bitch, you got to get yourself in check. Like, this is not a good path for you. Like, this is not where you're, you're here to go. And a huge part of what really initiated my spiritual journey, even before I got struck by lightning was like, I knew I had the deep internal work to do for my family both generations before me and the generations to come. Because at a DNA level, I needed to do that deep trauma work and the deep internal work to not have that be passed down to my children. So this is how I was consciously choosing as a future mother to make sure that the the pain and the trauma and the the trauma from that was stuck on a cellular level in my body would not be passed down to my children. So you have a family of five with three kids and your twins there. What has conscious fatherhood taught you? Because I just see your family and it's just like, uh, they're like little, like, uh, my little, like they're little, my Aquarian babies. And I watch your family. It's so beautiful. And just to see like the evolution of your oldest, just like, 
It's been so incredible. I'm like so proud of you and Caitlin for raising this beautiful family, truly. And I just want to hear your journey into conscious fatherhood and and the example you choose to set for for all your kids, but especially to your sons. Yeah. In many ways, uh, you know, our oldest son, Maverick, was the catalyst for me uh, starting my own work. And much like what you said, uh, when when we realized that we were having a boy, when we got that ultrasound, I was fucking terrified. And I was like, I was actually subconsciously hoping it was a girl because, you know, those protective pieces of me, I was like, I, I know that side of me, but the part of me that knew the amount of work I would have to do in raising a son uh, was terrifying. So that's really what kickstarted a lot of my own self-development um, into high gear. And before I go any further, I, I feel just a, an absolute need and, and desire to honor my partner, Caitlin, and fiance, because to be quite honest, she has continually held space in her most gracious and feminine way for me to do the work that I needed to do. And that really started with, you know, our pregnancy and her drawing a really clear boundary of like, are you in or out? And what does it mean for you to be in on this? Um, and that was, you know, up, up until that point in my life, I think that was the most difficult ultimatum that I had faced. And it was from a 19 year old woman. And I just felt fucking angry and, you know, really confused at the time. Uh, but ultimately that space gave me the choice and that choice has kind of defined our path as partners ever since, but ultimately, uh, the choice to just stay engaged as a father. Um, you know, I come from uh, a family where I had a really solid dad and my solid dad also, you know, struggled with some of the things that I, that I, that I recognize are most needed from fathers today emotional availability, you know, access to their formative stories as children and, and adults, um, the ability to be vulnerable and, and not look like you have it all figured out, to not know everything, to not do everything. All of those pieces that I feel like are really wound up in patriarchy and conditioning for men, uh, my dad embodied those to a lot of sense, but he was also super solid. Um, and so as I walk this line of, of, you know, call it conscious fatherhood, and I'll just call it, you know, my best effort of being a dad is finding, uh, you know, finding aspects of my own personal story that if I'm resistant to, or I feel like, uh, there's some piece that I'm most challenged by with my children. Uh, I immediately recognize the value of diving into that piece. And so this shows up for me often with, I want to say, especially Maverick because of his age, but my children, doing the things that I innately do very well that annoy the shit out of me. Um, and in this way, it's like our children are our best mirrors in a sense, because when we're looking at a behavior that, you know, is troublesome and we ask that question like, wow, where did that come from? Especially before they start school, it's very obvious where it came from. And so, uh, for us to engage in this process of developing ourselves through our children and as a family is really just a matter of like looking at how we're showing up, um, recognizing the feedback and the way that our children are showing up in their behavior and, and uh, the things that they say and ultimately the relationships that we're forming together and just beginning to keep integrating that into our process. Um, journey is hard. I'll say that very, very clearly. 
And it's also the most enriching and beautiful journey that I've ever taken. Um, I, I feel like this is a cliche statement, but, um, it would be a lie to say anything. Otherwise our children are our greatest teacher and through their, you know, their innocence and through their, uh, process of exploring their world and in particularly the human world as they come to know, but we just get um, the behavior patterns that we have intuited or, uh, essentially inherited from perhaps genetically, but also just through our conditioning and our family units. And it's fun. It's also really, really fun. Uh, particularly with young children, there's just a lot of play involved. And one thing I really feel strongly about is that adults in Western culture don't play enough. Mm-hmm. And when I get like kind of stiff and I find myself being too serious all the time. Uh, my children are probably the greatest reminder to just like be goofy and play and be in my body and be fully present uh, because that's all they know. They don't know how to do anything else. They don't know how to be worried about the future. They don't, uh, you know, they don't have these wounds and traumas from the past yet that they're, you know, ultimately walking with yet. And so I just find it to be kind of the defining piece of my life. Uh, walking this path. I love that. And I, I remember probably one of like the proudest like moments. I, I remember watching your family. This is again, before the twins were born is when you all went to standing rock. Mm. Yeah. I would love to hear about, you know, we were talking earlier about the importance of the elders and bringing in their wisdom. And I remember just like watching you and your family at Sandy Rock. And I was just so fucking proud of you guys. And it was, it made, I, my heart was, I was just sending all my prayers and it was just like, it was so moving to see that you wanted to bring your son to, to witness and to experience that alongside the journey of standing up to protect the water and to, for behalf of the indigenous and the earth, like, ah, oh, I just get so emotional even thinking about it. It was just so beautiful to witness. So I would just love to hear what that experience was like visiting Standing Rock and how it's impacted you even today. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a really uh, fascinating story in itself. And I'll start with the decision to go. I remember standing down at the beach with Caitlin and Maverick was playing in the, in the sand. This was on Bashan where where we were living at the time. And, you know, some folks in our community had, had chosen to go already. And there was uh, an invite from uh, a family member of Caitlin's to come out and, and this really unsettling feeling of like danger and mystery and not knowing, and, and also not knowing if our support was really what was needed. So there's a lot of discomfort in that. Um, and we both looked at each other and we're like, I think we're, we know, like, I think we need to go. And so we gathered as many resources from our community as we could. We went to a series of, uh, community meetings with some like just active community members who were interested in going, but couldn't go themselves. And some of them would, and we kind of gathered up as, as many of the resources that we could, that we felt would be beneficial. Everything from like warm clothes to firewood and other supplies and stuff. And, got a pulse on what was needed, um, from folks who were on the ground and we started driving out and 
this was like around Thanksgiving, I think. So it was almost this time several years ago. And on that drive, Maverick, we were talking about, we had just learned that, um, not just learned, but maybe a week or so before we learned that Caitlin was pregnant and we were on the phone in the car and Caitlin was like, yeah, there's, you know, we're pregnant. And Maverick was really little. And he goes, um, mama, mama. And he's like interrupting on the phone and we're like, what Maverick, what? And he's like, there's not a baby in your belly. And we're like, what are you talking about? He goes, there's two babies in your belly. Wow. And we hadn't had an ultrasound yet or anything. Like we didn't know that we had twins, but we like both turned around <laughs> and looked at him and we're just like, okay, you know, like that's interesting to hear and, and just kind of let it be. And, um, <laughs> ultimately he was right. And he ended up, this is really mind blowing. He actually not only called their birth order, but knew the sexes of the children and also their positioning. Uh, and he wow. said that probably two months later in a different setting, but, um, that standing rock trip to this day, I think has informed more of my own, uh, care and caution and engaging in like deep work across cultures. Uh, I got to sit in the like traditional Lakota lodge out there and I participated in sweat lodge, um, quite a few t times until then, but this felt so different. I mean, being on, on the really birthed the practice itself with people who have been carrying this tradition for so long. Um, and to be invited into that space, uh, and, and just to be able to glimpse the importance of that ceremony in relation to water, right. To, mm -hmm. to feel water coming out of my body in the ceremony on land that, you know, in so many ways has just held the tears and the trauma of people who've been displaced and, and have been struggling for their own existence for so long, but also thriving in many ways and persisting and are so fucking resilient. Um, and then to be out there and just witness this interface of like all that is fucked up with Western culture, these like militarized people flying around in helicopters and, you know, using military grade weapons and technologies against a bunch of humans who are literally just asking for access to a basic right. And, uh, seeing and glimpsing the, the emergence of, of what I would call, uh, I, I guess just emergent activism, like witnessing how, how conversations would stimulate these movements of humans mm. and people committing to something that was like mysterious, but also immensely important. And how different I felt that was from typical like political campaigns and, and the way things that I've seen organize and be done uh, in my community or typically just in kind of Western modern culture. Um, and, you know, another thing that really stood out was, was the interface between youth and elders. Mm. So I got to talk to a lot of youth out there and like sit in circle with some folks and, and it was just so amazing seeing the, the vitality and the energy from the youth get channeled into this, uh, system really where adults, uh, and elders are responsive to that and can hold that youthful energy in a container and ultimately recognize the value in that, in that rebellion and that, that sense of unjust injustice that needed to be dealt with. Um, and so, you know, many folks who are out there would talk about Standing Rock being a youth led, um, initiative, but there were elders present and there was adults present in so many of these actions and so many of these conversations um, 
And that's something that I feel like is so void from a lot of the, a lot of the call them social issues of our time, you know, in Western culture is like, where are the elders? Like, where are the folks who've, who've been striving for these things for so long and have the wisdom and have the stories of how to do this work in a sacred way. And, and I'm not trying to discount the presence because they're there, but I feel like our, our answer and one of our tasks, uh, as you know, what we might call middlers, you and I being in this space of, of adulthood is to just be willing to honor and look at our elders and be like, you have a fucking important role right now you have information and you have stories and you have life experience wisdom wisdom and we need you Mm -hmm. we absolutely need you in this process um and you know i i think that was one of my key takeaways from that experience is just like fuck i don't see these same elements intact in my community and particularly just in the in the society at large yeah, because yeah. I live in a town that's has so many Confederate flags hanging. Like mm-hmm. these elders are still holding Confederate flags. And what I am learning from them is the importance of doing trauma work. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's the wisdom I learned from them. It's just yeah. the call for more connection. Yeah. One of my one of my and teachers, I'll say from afar, uh, man named Bill Plotkin wrote a book called nature and the human soul. He, he might suggest that, uh, you know, elderhood is, is not, uh, an automatic stage that it's ultimately something that's lived into. And we have a lot of olders. We don't have a lot of elders in our culture and particularly folks that, you know, fail to develop past early adolescence in their egoic mind. But, you know, embody an adult body or an old body, um, you know, deserve respect for sure. And, uh, and I would also add that, uh, there's a lot of adults and elders who I feel like uh, have, you know, kind of gone static in their own development and, and are not embodying that elder energy. They're not embodying wisdom. They're not embodying that, uh, that presence really that I feel like is so, uh, so, eminent when you're in in the presence of a true elder right it's not that they have to do anything special they don't have fucking magical powers but i just feel it when i walk into a room or an experience or their container and there's an elder in the room it is palpable just their presence alone is magnificent and um that comes from you know an an immense amount of self-work and devotion to community as well i look forward to see that, you know, I think so much of our generation and you're helping the generation that comes after us and the fact that we are so devoted to doing this work at still a relatively young age for how how much of our lives we still have a hand ahead of us is what this future really holds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a tremendous amount of hope. I, mean, I, have, I have more than hope. I have faith. Like I have yes. full faith that... You know, so much of our mainstream media and the the society is so conditioned because of special interests and money and all these things. But when you look at the bigger picture of what's happening, like yes. there's a bigger thing, there's a bigger movement happening. And we yes. had to remember to have faith in the evolution of humanity and to understand that as long as we devote to doing the work and taking responsibility for our lives and reclaiming our sovereignty... Mm. peace is attainable 
Yes. Finding that inner peace is the first step because the inner creates the outer. And I'm having like crazy deja vu right now. Like I've definitely have had this conversation with you. <laughs> so I want to wrap up. I love you so much. And I'm just so, I'm just so pumped and like so excited for the work that you're doing. And again, to continue to bear witness to your evolution and, of just on a, on a personal level and, and with your family and with your community. I just, I'm so excited, but I do want to um, round up with some lightning round questions. So what does Great. sovereignty mean to you? <sighs> sovereignty to me is really a state of liberation. Uh, I would say when we are free to express and also um, to receive that, which is ours. Um, so yeah, you know, a sovereign person to me, you know, takes the image of someone who is just walking their walk and sharing their gift with the world, and ultimately is not bound by uh, not bound by the tethers that may have burdened uh, their ancestors or any of their peers or um, anyone else who you know had been influenced until then. But I see it as a, a space of liberation and a state of liberation. Mm, I love that. As we round out this decade and we're jumping into 2020 Crystal Vision, what would you say has been one of the greatest lessons you've learned in this decade? Uh, what's coming through for me is just the, uh, the commitment to integrate. Mm. How do I put this into action? Um, like, yeah, this is fun. Yeah, this is great. Oh, this blew my mind. Oh, you know, this is a peak experience. But then uh, recognizing that commitment to walking the walk. Um, I think that's been it. Mm. What's been the one book that's really revolutionized your life and your awareness and your human experience? Nature and the Human Soul by Bill Plotkin. The book you mentioned, I knew you were going to say yeah. that. Mm -hmm. What's the one thing that you really want to leave behind for your children? I'd say permission and support to be exactly who they want to be. Mm. And that's going to take the form of like an imprint in a community that will hold them after I'm gone. Um, and it's fascinating, you know, imagining how that's actually going to happen, but it's way more than just permission for me, but essentially touching the lives and the hearts of folks who they'll interact with and create formative experiences, which somehow in some indirect kind of mysterious cosmic way will ultimately leave them feeling uh, exalted and excited about expressing their gifts in the world. I love that. I love that. What would you say to younger Nikki? It's okay to be wrong, especially in front of people. Mm. Permission. Beautiful. Permission to fail. Permission to fuck up and just permission to be held for sure. Permission to be held in, in mistake and error and learning. Beautiful. Yeah. And where can we learn more about your beautiful nonprofit journeyman? Yeah. You know, our website has a lot of info journeymen.us. Um, we're pretty active on social media. We actually have one of our youth now who's steering that ship and he's just shining in that role. So check us out on Instagram, just at journeymen, Facebook slash journeymen. Um, we do a podcast as well. We typically do a series of episodes every fall and winter. So we'll kickstart that up again and probably do another few episodes. And, um, those are fantastic, you know, interview format, but ultimately learning experiences for us because we call in people who 
really are, are just steadfast in their field and youth development or mythology and rites of passage and human development work. And, um, we really look to crack open, uh, crack open the, the wisdom in those situations. I think just like you're doing here. Um, and honestly, I, I reckon that there's quite a few people here who may be curious around like involvement as uh, a mentor or maybe in, in their own work. And I really feel passionate about steering folks to the right resource for them. So whether that's your own initiation, your own quest out on the land, or if you're really feeling the call to find a way to dial into the youth in your area, we now have a pulse on tons of different programs that are similar to ours in different regions. You know, we're most active up here by Seattle and Tacoma and on Vashon Island, but <clears throat> one of the most inspiring things is just finding out how many other amazing organizations are devoted to similar things. So I'm just trying to spread that love and spread that access. And you're not trying, you're doing brother. I'm doing it. Thank you. I'm just spreading that and making it known that it's easy to plug in. Um, and ultimately committing to like mentorship and committing to engaging with youth is a radical self-development platform. It's impossible to stay engaged in the work and not continue your own development. Um, that's my belief. So mm. get up, get involved. So true. And, and so this is great. That's another great opportunity. So if you are someone who's having a troubled son or whatever, these programs are really here to help in a, in a way that is more approachable, you know, and rather than, you know, that some, some parents, I know I, ha I have a few in my mind in particular that I know have had such a hard time with their sons and their children. And it's programs like this that can really help crack them open to go back and dive in. So uh, the last yeah. question I really want to ask is if there's something else that's like coming through to be shared, just to, to express that right here, right now to whoever needs to hear this message that's listening to this conversation, what would that be? Hmm. You're never meant to do this alone whether you're a parent or just a person and feeling siloed in this experience. But I talk to a lot of parents who feel exhausted and like they've tried everything with their children. And the model of the nuclear family is a failed model. And we, I think, are just continually recognizing the need to build a village around all of us. And in our work, we provide a space where uh, we intentionally create a a container where we can see and access young people in a way that parents can't not because you don't want to, or cause you're not doing your job good enough because a parent can literally do everything right. And all young people will reach a point when they can no longer glean any more wisdom and experience and knowledge from their parent. It'll exhaust it. And that's when the rite of passage is ripe. So if you feel that agitation, if you just feel exhausted, if you feel like, oh my gosh, I've tried everything. I don't know what's happening with this relationship. My invitation is to consider that a sign, a sign of readiness and opportunity, not devastation. Like, you know, it's all going to end, but recognizing the opportunity in that to call in the right people to support all the hard work that you've done as a parent to bring your young person this far and just say, great, now it's time to send them back to the village. Um, my work here is done for now. And when they return, 
we get to recultivate our relationship as uh, adults or in a different dynamic and really create that beautiful relationship that I think all of us parents really long for is to see our children happy and thriving and living into their gifts and wanting to relate to us in a, in a different way than we would in that needy child or the one who's constantly pushing our buttons. It's all call for love. Yes. All call for love. Oh, my brother. I'm so proud of you. I'm so humbled. I'm so honored to bear witness to your transformation and your experience and to you answering the call. It gives me so much hope and faith in what our future holds for these children and for the generations to come. And I just like bow to you with such reverence and respect for doing this work and answering the call. I love you so much and I appreciate you doing it. I appreciate you showing up and I appreciate you revolutionizing humanity by really starting with these men. And the world needs more people like you and the work that you're sharing, brother. Mm. So thank you. So from... From the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm. Thank you, Sabrina. It's such a warm and fuzzy feeling in my body right now of uh, just feeling seen and appreciated. And um, I just want to reflect back to you the importance of uh, the way you've been doing your work uh, in a visible way and in a, I would say, a very vulnerable way. And uh, in, in regards to seeing people who are willing to walk the walk and do, as we've said, the deep inner work in a way that others can see uh, as a modeling, but also as an invitation for us all to, to more commit more fully to the work that we all know that we need to do. I can say that you are a source of inspiration for many. You have been for me. Um, and it just brings me like glee to imagine uh, like to not even having been able to imagine like weaving uh, and dancing our way through lives and then ultimately coming back to this moment. Yeah. Uh, since those were a few interactions, like way back in Orange County. And, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so glad. Like, I'm just so glad that, uh, that that little spark has been kindled and tended and, and that we get to just like sit here by the fire and feel the warmth. Oh, I like have the biggest, cheesiest smile right now. Just so happy. And oh, thank you, brother, for seeing me. Thank you for, again, answering the call and for doing you so poetically. And reach out, you know, check out Journeymen, especially to those parents out there who are having issues with their youth and their men, their young men, because there is, there is, there are alternative and there is hope. Yep. And just trust, honor the journey and trust the process and know that it's all unfolding and that there are resources and Nikki is devoting his life and his heart and soul to this. And so thank you again. And thank you everyone for tuning in, check it out in the links below. And you'll also be able to get um, all the handles and whatever on uh, once I post this on sovereign society podcast, Instagram, and also on my own, but thank you all so much for tuning in and just please, 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 continue to have faith in what's coming because we are actively taking action to revolutionize humanity as we know it. Thank you all for tuning in. We love you and take care.
Thanks so much for tuning into this powerful episode of the Sovereign Society podcast. To keep this conversation flowing, I invite you to join us over at the Sovereign Society private Facebook group and to follow us over at Sovereign Society podcast on Instagram. If you want to keep up with me, subscribe to my YouTube channel where you can watch these episodes and so much more. I welcome you to come on over and say hey on Instagram at Sabrina Riccio. And if you love these conversations, please support the podcast by subscribing and leaving a rating and review on iTunes. To share the love, all you got to do is search Sovereign Society Podcasts. And of course, if you're ready for more, stay tuned for next week because I've got a whole new episode coming your way. Take care. Satnam.